We're going to start this morning with our scripture memory verse. Our scripture memory verse comes from the book of Daniel, and uh, we finally have gotten here. So if we can put that up on the screen, we'll start off with that. So if you will say this with me, Daniel 6.10. Daniel 6.10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Daniel 6.10. The book of Daniel accounts for just under 2% of the Bible. So the the whole book together, just under 2% of the Bible. If you are reading the book from one end to the other end, it takes right about 50 minutes to read through it. Yet, two or three of the most significant or the most recognizable stories in the Bible come from this book of the Bible. One of those is probably Daniel in the lion's den. The dedication of Daniel amidst the trickery of the enemy and the unlikelihood of hope stand out to show us the deliverance of our God. And as with all good Sunday school stories, the answer is always the same. God did it. (laughs) But there is so much more to Daniel chapter 6. So much more than just to whom did God pray God. To whom did Daniel pray God. Who delivered Daniel from the lions? God. Who was the one that Daniel was devoted to? God. But there's more. There's so much more. And so today, as we dig in, I want us to recognize that the enemy really is working to pull you away from spiritual disciplines, from normal rhythms of life. And that while many fall for the tricks of the enemy, we are called to remain faithful. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel 6, if you're not there yet. We'll also put it up on the screen. We're going to just read through all 26 verses here, and then we'll summarize it. Daniel 6, starting in verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities, that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charge against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charge against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. 
So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands. In accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, the king, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God has sent his angel, and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because I found... I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and revere the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heaven and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So we have our classic story of Daniel and the lion's den. The Sunday school story of Daniel and the lion's den. The text begins with this phrase, it pleased Darius. I think that that's kind of obvious. Darius is the king, the emperor. If it didn't please him, he probably wouldn't have done it. So why include that? Mm, Probably to draw a connection. Life is different for Daniel, yet again. It pleased Nebuchadnezzar earlier, then Belshazzar, 
and now Darius. Daniel has been through three different rulers, really three different monarchies in his life. And just like before, Daniel has risen to a place of prominence. Daniel, along with several other, two other administrators, really becomes second highest ruler in the kingdom. But Daniel does a better job than everybody else. And people begin to become jealous of Daniel. So they begin to look in Daniel's closets for skeletons. And as they look and look, they find nothing. And so they determine that they're going to have to use some trickery to get at Daniel. So they develop a plan. Daniel is consistent, so we can use this against him. Daniel is faithful, and we can use this against him. And they develop their plan in which they get Darius to pass a law that you're not allowed to pray. Well, that's not going to stop Daniel. And even though Daniel is admired by Darius, even though Darius does everything he can to stop this from happening, it still happens. And Daniel winds up in the lion's den. But the king expresses his faith. May your God, whom you serve continually, Daniel, deliver you. Stone is placed on the entrance. Daniel's fate is sealed, or seemingly so. But God closes the lion's mouths. And Daniel is delivered. King Darius punishes the conspirators throws them along with their families into the lion's den and then makes a declaration that God is the living God, that he rescues and saves, that he rescued Daniel. This is the story of Daniel and the lion's den, the story that you may or may not have heard over and over and over again. But I want us to go deep into it. And so in order to do that, I'm actually going to introduce you to three archetypes in Daniel and the lion's den. Three characters that we see play out over and over and over again in our life here. The story of Daniel and the lion's den really did happen. I don't want you to think it didn't happen, but it also has broad implications for us because these characters play out in life over and over again. The first character that we see that plays out here is the enemy. The enemy takes steps to disrupt normal, godly rhythms of life. What's written in the text, as I read it, it strongly suggests to me that Daniel has some peers who become jealous of Daniel. These unsavory characters who resort to trickery, and that's absolutely the case, but what I want you to see is that sitting underneath the story is the enemy of God's people. The enemy of God's people who, according to 1 Peter 5, 8, prowls around like a lion seeking whom he can devour. The enemy takes steps to disrupt normal, godly rhythms of life. The first step that the enemy often takes is the enemy has placed people in key positions. And we see this play out right here in the text. 122 people 
are well placed. 120 satraps, three administrators, but Daniel's one of them, so that's why I say 122. The enemy has positioned 122 people in a key position of power, a key position of influence. Here's a reality that I want you to note. Satan is not dumb. He knows what he's doing. He is strategic. And while I cannot say with 100% surety that Satan is the one who put all of these people in position, it sure seems like it, the way the text plays out. The enemy has placed people in key positions. Step two, the enemy employs subversive means to disrupt godly rhythms. Look at the technique used. King Darius, let's make a rule. This is a good idea, Darius. The rule is going to be that people don't get to pray to anybody other than you because you're important. You're the one who's ruling. People should really be bringing their requests before you, Darius. Sound like a good idea? Yeah, all right. The enemy uses subversive means to disrupt godly rhythms. John 8.44, talking about Satan, says that he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I want you to understand something. Satan doesn't fight fair. That's an important thing to understand. Satan doesn't fight fair, and the people that Satan uses don't fight fair. And that's exactly what's happening here. These satraps come before the king and come up with the perfect strategy. Let's get Daniel and the thing that we know he would never do by betraying his God. Really, the enemy tricks people into playing into his own schemes. The enemy tricks people to play into his schemes. The stated goal of these individuals was to find fault with Daniel, but sitting underneath is a scheme to undermine the spiritual system of those who follow God. We see this play out here in Daniel. We see this play out in the book of Esther. Time and time again, we see how Satan uses key people to develop schemes to undermine those who would follow God. As followers of Jesus, we must recognize that there are certain rhythms of life that are important. And there are those who would stop at nothing but to interrupt our rhythms of life in order to hurt our relationship with God. We must be on guard because the enemy uses subversion. The enemy uses trickery. The enemy does not fight fair. Let me give you an action step. We need to recognize that the enemy is working to upset a godly lifestyle. We have to recognize this. It is happening. My priority is to teach the Bible, but every once in a while there are things that come up that I can't avoid. Uh, I'm going to say something here. There are a lot of politics going on in our world today. My recommendation to you is to look at things carefully. 
because the enemy is using subversion. The enemy doesn't care about the truth. The enemy cares about the outcome. A little more exactly, look at some of the constitutional amendments being proposed in our state. Read them with an eye to, is this actually godly or is this going to hurt us in the long run? The enemy cheats. The enemy lies. Be aware of it. Be ready for it. Because ultimately, our second character, we have the enemy, our second character is Darius. And in Darius, what I see is that the acquiescent play into the enemy's games. The acquiescent play into the enemy's games. Acquiescent refers to a person or a behavior that is inclined to accept or comply with something without protest or resistance. To acquiesce. An acquiescent individual will generally agree or go along with it without expressing any strong objection. They yield willingly. Now, the Bible is clear. We are to be peacemakers with as much as is within us. There are times to stand up and to say, no, Darius was acquiescent. I don't know exactly why, but I know that Darius greatly valued Daniel. We can tell. Darius had promoted Daniel to a high position. Verse 14 tells us that Darius sought all day until sundown to save Daniel. Time and time again, Darius wants to save Daniel, but he acquiesces to the pressure of these 122 rulers. See, ultimately what I see happening is that maybe Darius allowed external pressures to exercise undual influence over him. Darius had the opportunity to stand up and to say, no. But 122 people calling for Darius to pass the law led to an entire kingdom under a strict law on who they could pray to. Darius had the choice. He could have said, no, we're not putting in this rule. This rule doesn't make sense. But Darius acquiesced to the pressure. I have to tell a story. Uh, when I was at the university, I used to supervise a lot of teachers. And inevitably, everybody failed the test. It really wasn't fair. I'd say, really? Well, let me pull up the grade book here. You know, three students, Tom's class, three people failed the test. Is it you three? <laughs> we can't acquiesce. We must stand up for what is right because seeking to be a peacemaker is good. Seeking to please people is good. But if you take it too far, you can seek to please everyone and to make peace in every situation. And all of a sudden, you lose big time. I also wonder if Darius's pride got in the way. I mean, think about the rules that they're proposing. Everyone's going to pray to you, Darius. Your majesty. 
Look how great you are, Darius. You're the ruler of the Medo-Persian Empire. If you pass this law, we'll have the entire world worshiping you. Isn't that look pretty good, Darius, right? All you've got to do is sign on the dotted line. And everyone's going to recognize your greatness, Darius. I think they appealed to his pride. The result, however it happened, whether it was external pressure, whether it was pride, whether it was just plain naivety, is that Darius passed a law that really tied his hands. Daniel is the hero of this story. Darius is actually the victim. Because he acquiesced to the pressure of the satraps. I don't think anybody here today falls into the category of enemy. We're not opposing God. But I wonder, myself included, how many, how many of us fall into the category of acquiescent? How many of us are Darius in this story? Where we let external pressures, we let reasonable arguments convince us we should go in a direction that maybe we never should have. The action step, we need to pray for wisdom and discernment as we go through life. My first point was that the enemy is out there. The enemy is seeking to oppose God's people. The enemy is seeking to interrupt godly rhythms of life. How do we deal with that? Pray. We pray for wisdom. We pray for discernment as we go through life because we must recognize that our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's what we're up against. So our first archetype, the enemy. Our second archetype, the acquiescent. Our third archetype is the faithful. You see, the faithful turn to God. I'd like to say Daniel's faith was legendary, but that makes it seem like maybe the events described in the book didn't actually happen. They really did happen. The events in Daniel did happen, and his faith is more than legendary. His faith is real. Daniel's faith was on display. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Think about Daniel for just a moment. Daniel, as a young boy, was taken from his homeland. He was forced to serve in the court of a tyrant. But not just one tyrant, three tyrants, at least. Nebuchadnezzar, Nabonidus, and his son Belshazzar, and now Darius, Time and time again, Daniel has been uprooted. By the time we get to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is an old man. Really, he is. Daniel was brought to Babylon in 605 BC. I estimate he was probably 15 years old, just guessing. But he's a young man, 15 years old, in 605 BC. We know because we can dig in the ground and find out answers to these questions that the fall of Babylon in Daniel 5 occurred in 539 B.C. So that tells us that by the time we get to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is 79 years old or more. 
Daniel has been taken from his land. Daniel has gone through empire after empire. And now at 79 years old, in the sunset days of his life, he's called upon again. If you are alive and walking, God's not done with you yet. God worked through Daniel time and time again. I want you to think about his faith. Daniel lived a life in which the only thing consistent was his faith. The number of empires he lived through was amazing. He saw the rise and fall of empire after empire. He was relocated. His name was changed. His language was changed. The only thing consistent in Daniel's life was his faith. Every aspect of his life was taken from him. I've experienced relocation, but it wasn't forced relocation. I've had my share of trials, but not to the degree of Daniel. I've not seen the rise and fall of my nation three times over. Daniel went through it. But his faith was consistent. The faithful turn to God. I want you to first see what it means to be faithful. The first thing that I notice about Daniel is that character matters even in the normal rhythms of life. Character matters. Look at what's going on with Daniel in verses 4 and 5. Yet again, we have a new empire. Yet again, we have a new king on the throne. And Daniel, yet again, rises to the top. That's who he is. He is a guy that rises to the top. But Daniel's rise to the top was different than what anybody else expected. You see, the naysayers, the doubters, the jealous went digging. This guy has managed to rise to the top every time. Let's go digging and find out where we can indict him, where we can find the skeletons in his closet so that we can remove him from his position. And guess what they find? Nothing. Character matters. Character matters. I want us to be challenged by Daniel here. We need to be exactly who we seem to be. That's who Daniel was. As they went looking at Daniel, they found that Daniel was exactly who he seemed to be. We need to be exactly who we seem to be. Does our vocabulary change when we get home from church? Do the shows that we watch change depending on who's in our house? Are you more patient with your coworkers than with your family? I don't want you to get upset. I want you to be challenged. Character matters. I think oftentimes we plateau in our character development. We get up to a certain point and we say, you know, I'm pretty happy here. And I know it would take a lot of work to get here. So I'm just going to sit here for a while. Don't plateau. Daniel's character was perfect. 
as far as everybody else was concerned. I don't want to say he was perfect. I'm sure he sinned. We know he sinned. The Bible tells us all have sinned. But as far as others could see, his character was perfect. 79 years of life had brought Daniel to this point where God was going to use him in a wonderful way. Character matters. But regardless of the cost, prayer must not be sacrificed. Regardless of the cost, prayer can't be sacrificed. Um, This is the obvious application that we usually pull out of this passage. Daniel prayed when he knew better. Daniel prayed. But I want us to dig into that a little bit. First of all, the text tells us that Daniel knew the cost. That's verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned the decree had been published, this didn't come as a surprise to Daniel. He knew what was happening. Daniel full well knew what he might be sacrificing. But I want us to go a little bit further. Daniel refused to let the cost change his rhythm. The text tells us Daniel went home and prayed just as he did before. And I think this actually really matters. It's not just that Daniel prayed. It's that he wouldn't let it interrupt his rhythm. Daniel had a habit, had a rhythm, where he'd go upstairs to an upstairs room and he'd pray. Probably facing Jerusalem, probably because in 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon said... Hear the supplication of your servant and your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Solomon had said the people should pray towards Jerusalem when they're out and you've punished them. And I think that's what Daniel's doing. So that's an aside. We can talk more about that later. The point is Daniel goes upstairs because that's his habit. He goes to his room because that's his habit. He leaves the window open because that's his habit. And you might say, but everyone's going to see you, Daniel. You can pray wherever you want. And you'd be right. But that's the point. Everyone's going to see you, Daniel, and they're going to judge you. Are you keeping to your God? Or are you following Darius? Daniel, you can pray wherever you want, but you've set up a rhythm where you pray to your God in this circumstances. And everyone's watching to see if your character is as good as it seems. Daniel had the choice. He could disobey the king publicly or dishonor his God publicly. He chose to disobey the king. Finally, I want you to see that Daniel did this three times a day. This was a rhythm for Daniel. Daniel's life had changed time and time again. But the thing that didn't change was Daniel's rhythm. While everything has changed for Daniel, nothing has changed about Daniel's God. So we know what happens in the story. Daniel's arrested for praying. Daniel's thrown in the lion's den. Daniel is delivered from the lion's den. In verse 16, though, we see Daniel's character play out, his faithfulness play out. As the king is placing Daniel in the lion's den, he says, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. I can think of no greater compliment 
that could have been given to Daniel. Daniel, I'm putting you to what will be your death most likely. But I've seen your character and I know that it is God who you serve. Maybe he'll rescue you, Daniel. And then it happens. And in verses 19 through 22, we see that God gets the glory. How do we see that? Because Darius, feeding off of the faith of Daniel, rushes to the lion's den to see if Daniel's faith was well placed. I want you to understand this. Darius, a pagan king, literally feeds off of the faith of Daniel. This isn't Darius's faith in God. This is Daniel's faith in God that has impacted the king so much that he has faith in God. That's incredible. Glory must be given to God. We know the answer. Daniel's faith is well-placed. Darius's faith is well-placed. So what do we learn from Daniel in the lion's den? I think the thing that we need to walk away with is we must determine to be faithful in our rhythms of life. We must determine to be faithful in our rhythms of life. We could be pessimists. We could say, you know, one day prayer might be outlawed in this country. But let me say something else. Let's not worry about that right now. Let's worry about the bigger problem. Prayer doesn't need to be outlawed in this country because people aren't praying. We need rhythms in life. Rhythms of devotion to God. We don't need a law against prayer when we already have TV, Facebook, the news, any other thing that can take up your time. We instead must devote ourselves to godly rhythms. Today, my challenge is that you develop a rhythm of prayer. What does it look like for you? Might it be that you need to set a timer on your phone to remind yourself at a certain time of day to pray? Might it be that you need to set aside a chunk of time for prayer? Might it be that you need to hold yourself accountable to somebody else for prayer? I don't know what it is for you. What I do know is that we need rhythms of life like Daniel had. Rhythms that draw us closer to God. Rhythms the build character. Daniel in the lion's den. It's a well-known story. But the meaning is so much more than that surface-level meaning. Daniel's rhythms, his character, that's what we should aim for as we look to grow like Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Daniel. I thank you for his faithfulness and the rhythms of life that he developed. Father, those are the rhythms that we need in our life. The level of faithfulness that we need. 
of devotion to you. We know the enemy is out there. We know that he seeks to disrupt. He seeks to destroy. But we know that it's possible to be faithful. I pray that we would be like Daniel, faithful. Pray that we would not acquiesce to the tricks of the enemy, that we would not fall victim of schemes of the devil, but that we would consistently be faithful to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.